I'm ready. I just warmed up at 8.30. Now I'm ready to really give it a rip now, 10.30. Revel- you know, we've been talking about uh, the churches that Jesus wrote these letters. He, he didn't write them. John wrote them, the last disciple of Jesus. He was about 80 plus years of age. He was in about 95 AD. So, uh, sorry, yeah, AD. So about, 95, about 65 years after Jesus had died, been resurrected. So 65 years later, Jesus still speaks. And he, and he writes to John, who has this something of a vision on this isolated island called Patmos, which is literally just 40 kilometers off the coast of modern-day Turkey. Did you get all that information? I'm just trying to give it to you and like force-feed you for a moment. Um, and, and all that's happening, and John writes down what Jesus says, and he writes to seven prominent communities. That, that in Revelations, they're called uh, churches, just seven prominent churches, seven prominent cities. And one of them, the one we want to look at today is is uh, Sardis, S-A-R-D-I-S, Sardis. And so uh, let's see what I have to say, because what Jesus, it's amazing what Jesus spoke then is incredibly relevant and important to us right now, in our world right now. So can I read it to you? Revelation 3, uh, 1 to 6, to the angel of the church in Sardis write, these are the words of him. This is Jesus now talking about himself. These are the words. I'm the one. I'm the, I am the word. <laughs> but these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. And if we could just pause for a moment right there and ask, what is that saying? Jesus is the one who holds the seven spirits, the seven stars. You've got to understand the city of Sardis was under Roman rule. And um, it had an emperor called Domitian. Uh, Domitian... Uh, oh, Actually, all Roman emperors thought they were a god, okay? So they w- wanted to be worshipped. And so Domitian actually went a step further, and he actually, um, he minted a coin with his face on it. It's a bit like our coins with Queen Elizabeth, which is probably just about to become King Charles, isn't it? So, so Domitian got a coin, and he put his, stamped his face on it, and then it shows the coin with seven him holding, I believe, uh, well, got seven stars on the coin. And so when Jesus, um, you know, and, Dom- and Domitian was basically saying this, I am the one who rule, I have the authority over heaven and earth. That's what he was talking about. I, have, I hold the seven stars. I've got authority over heaven and earth. And uh, basically, I'm God. And that's a dangerous place to make a proclamation when you know the truth is you aren't really God. Uh, and Jesus, isn't it interesting then, what does Jesus do? He opens the letter to the church of Sardis, the same area that had this Roman emperor there, by saying, I hold the seven stars. I'm the one who holds the seven stars. And it was a direct reference to these coins uh, that uh, Emperor Domitian had minted or uh, that was in circulation as currency. And so what Jesus is saying, he says, you know what, Sardis, you think you hold authority over heaven and earth, but gentlemen, buddy, you've got to know, I'm the one who was there when it was created. I'm the, I'm the beginning and the end. I was the one who created heaven and earth, uh, and you do not hold authority over heaven and earth. That's what Jesus was stating. And the reality is, is that he was also, that's an incredible encouragement to the Christians there in Sardis because Jesus was literally saying, you think the Rome, because Rome could be incredibly cruel to people. They could do you, do you through with a sword just like that for the littlest of offenses. It wasn't a safe place to live in Roman days. And yet it's, it's cruel. And, and Jesus is saying, you know what, you guys, even though your Rome emperor thinks he is the ruler, Ultimately, I want you to know that I rule heaven and earth. And I want to know that you know that I hold your future so it's safe. 
Isn't it wonderful to know that we might not know our future, but we can know the one who holds the future. And whatever that may be for you today, whatever unknowns you may have right now, tomorrow, this week, next year, you're not quite sure what's going to happen. I want to tell you that we have a God that we can plug into our Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ. And we can be assured that He's got it. And we might know what He's got, but He's got it for us. And that's the kind of God we serve. Did you, did you hear the song? He's for us. He's for us. So Jesus, by saying, I hold the seven stars, I'm the, he was kind of, you know, he was reassuring the Christians and he was stating the reality. Uh, no one else does. You know, we have wonderful leadership, politicians. We have leaders in our country. We should pray for them and be thankful for them and all the rest of it. But ultimately, I want to tell you, God rules and reigns. Okay? And you may doubt that and say, well, we live in a terrible world. Look what's happening in the world. People being innocent. I tell you what, ultimately, God has the last say. He is such a gracious God that He allows us to have our way, which dis we destroy each other. But ultimately, He'll have the last say. And he can have the say in our lives, no matter what comes against us. Hey, so will we continue reading? Verse 1, to the angel of the church in Sardis, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds, Jesus says, talking to the Christian church. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen and remain. What remains is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people, yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is right, uh, victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will blot, never blot out the name of that person from the book of life. Can you see that, what it's saying? There's a few, uh, there's a few of you who, who have not soiled your garments. In other words, sin has not stained you. you. Though your sins be as scarlet, they can be as white as snow. A white garment will be given to us when we ask for forgiveness. That's a metaphor for being clean before Jesus. He says, there's a few of you like that. But he says, you know what? If, you're, if you overcome, if you turn around, come back to me come on you'll be victorious as well and your name will be in the book of life but but we'll acknowledge that name before my father and his angels whoever has ears let him hear what the spirit says to the churches that was for you guys to come in at that moment okay yeah so sardis interesting sardis what's it what's happening here what is really being said there the church at Sardis. Do you know the church was given a nickname, not at the time that this, this was written by John, the disciple, but later on it was given the nickname of the Church of the Living Dead. Sounds like some kind of horror story, doesn't it? The Church of the Living Dead. Hello, are you still there, there this morning? Yeah, good, good. So, what on earth is it really saying? Let me just, can I just give you a little background, some backstory, context? So 1200 BC, Sardis was a prominent city, a prominent capital city in that area, in, on the uh, west coast of Turkey, there in the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, the citizens of Sardis had unparalleled, two things, unparalleled prosperity and unparalleled security. Two things. Just remember those two things. For prosperity, why did they have prosperity? They had a river that ran alongside the city. The city, uh, that river had gold in it. 
Okay, not just a little bit of gold, a lot of gold. And so the people in Sardis would, of course, collect that gold, and they thus became incredibly wealthy. In actual fact, the city was just opulent. It was luxury, kind of. It, it, it had everything they wanted. It had the best of what that, gener- that, that century could offer you. It was a city that was rich. It had much, much in the way of wealth. People, uh, you know, had, had all they needed in life. In actual fact, I mentioned coins before. That's where um, that, that Roman emperor, Domitian, actually minted the very first coins on the face of the earth. That's where coins come from, Sardis. It was first invented in this city. Currency, instead of you know, bartering, now a currency was kicked into play. And they used coins for the very first time. His face was on it with seven stars. That's why Jesus made the comment, as I said. And coins were put into, into currency and put into circulation around the community. From there, it spread out across the world. Lots of nations started to get coins and do the same system of currency and exchange. So the city had a, a, a reputation for luxury, the best of all that could, could have. Unfortunately, the reputation came without its price, and it came uh, also immorality and apathy. Okay, so not just material wealth, but also geographical security. So let me talk about the, why were they a secure city? Why could enemies not attack them, or why was it thought that enemies would never attack them? It's simply because the city was built on um, a massive hill with cliffs all around the city. And on top of the cliffs was the wall, and inside the wall was the city, and all the people lived in there quite secure. It was a big place. You can see the ruins today. In actual fact, they got so many people who, uh, who lived in the city, they actually had to build another part of the city in the valley, and you can see the ruins of that today as well. So the city expanded outside the walls. Uh, but, so the city is interesting. The city was well fortified, and the common thought of the day that there's no enemy would ever attack because they couldn't possibly scale the cliffs and the walls and... Um, and uh, so they felt they were very secure. So the location uh, was a shield from their enemies, and they had wealth, which was a shield from poverty and needs. And, and you know, there's two things in that society that day. They had security, and they had wealth, which is kind of like today. It, it, aren't they the two things that we, in a sense, that they're good to have? I suppose, you know, protection, feeling secure in our homes, having some money to be able to live life, Uh, to some level. So this was their confidence. But their confidence, overconfidence, led to the downfall of the city. And a Greek historian called Herodotus, Herodotus, he was a historian, and uh, he recorded the downfall of this city of Sardis. And not just the Bible, but other historical records that we've got. And the king king was called a king called Cyrus came along, and he says, I want to take that city. It's got a lot of wealth. I want that. And so he didn't know how to do it. No one had ever conquered this city, and so he put out a, he put out a lot of money. He says, I'll give money to people who have the plan to actually take this city. A soldier of his, of his um, army thought, you know what, I'd like that money. And so he scoped out the city, and one day as he was scoping it out from a distance, he saw a watchman on the city wall lose his helmet over the side, it went down the wall, down the cliff, right to the bottom. The watchman climbed over the wall, climbed down up a certain path down the cliff, picked up his helmet and went back up again. And the soldier said, I've discovered how to get into this city. He got a battalion of soldiers 
And at night time, they scaled through the same route up the cliff face, up over the wall. And you know when they got to the top of the wall, what they found? No one. There was no watchman. There was no soldiers on guard. There was nothing. Why was that the case? Because the city of Sardis was so confident and so sure that their city was impregnable, they didn't even need to keep watch anymore. And it was their complacency that caused their ultimate downfall. Their complacency. Interesting enough, they didn't learn the lesson. And 200 years later, they were invaded again in exactly the same way. And uh, the city was conquered. So twice the city had been taken over. And both times, the watchmen on the walls were not there. Or they were careless or complacent. So really, it wasn't the enemy, the enemy attack that led to their downfall. It was the overconfidence and the smug attitude that, I'm okay. I'm okay. It had lulled them into a false sense of security. And that was their true enemy. The spiritual state of their church in Sardis was a reflection of the, the historical attitude of the city itself. Can, can, is that painting a little picture for you now? Jesus speaks to this church and, he, and it's become sleepy and complacent. And he says, wake up and strengthen that which remains. Because if you don't wake up, I'm going to come like a thief in the night and what you had will be taken away. And everyone in Sardis knew exactly what Jesus was saying because they knew about the story of this city, how it had been taken over and how they'd become complacent. They understood exactly what they meant. So when we read it, we might think, what in the world is that talking about? But that's exactly what it's talking about. The complacent city had, had literally seeped into the very attitudes of the Christians. Apathy, complacency. And the lesson for you and I today is that one of the most dangerous attitudes to our spiritual health is an attitude of complacency. I'm okay. Do you know that 52% of people who have car accidents have it within five, five minutes of their home, their dwelling? Do you know why that is? Is because they're so used to driving the same route, whether it's every day or a couple times a day or whatever it may be, they become complacent. So if an uncommon factor turns up on the road, maybe some roadworks or a person stopped in the middle of the road or something like that, they're not, they're not aware of that because they're just familiar with the same route. They've become familiar. They've, and thus in their familiarity, they've become complacent. And in the complacent, they become apathetic and bang, they have an accident. Who's ever had an accident with five minutes of their home? Don't show your hand. Oh, thank you. I saw those hands. I put my hand up. I've had an accident within 500 meters of my home. Can you see the point? Complacency, apathy about maybe even our God. I'm cool. I'm right. I've got it together. But maybe you've lost some of that passion and zeal. You know, when you become a Christian, a new Christian, it's, it's, you know, you're excited about your faith. You're reading God's Word. You're talking to God about life. You're enjoying it. You're in fellowship. You're in connection. You just, I want more. I just can't get enough. I can't get enough. I can't get enough. But then when the, our faith goes on for a year and two years and three years and 30 years and 40 years, we've got to be careful. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I wouldn't be anybody here, but I'm just saying we can start to sometimes just get that little bit of, oh, I'm okay, cut corners, a little bit of compromise here. Uh, it, I, I, it's okay. I'm cool. Jesus still loves me. And he does. 
but you know it's sad because we can think that uh, uh, it leads to spiritual apathy and it can quickly turn into spiritual death if we do not careful. It surprises me sometimes over the years I've had some great friends and I, they're still friends but so zealous and yet 10, 20 years down the track they're out of, out of connection with Jesus, out of fellowship. I'm just thinking what happened? What happened? Did the devil do a really terrible thing to them? No. It was just a thin edge of the wedge type of thing. Just slowly slid out of that place of fellowship. Slid out of that place with Jesus. Just, just, just forgot maybe one day, two days to read God's word or spend any time worshipping or talking to him. Do you know they say seven prayerless days makes one week. Jesus says over and over again, be watchful, be continuous, don't let your lamp burn out. He says in Revelation 3.2, which we just read, he says, be watchful, come on, be watchful. Always be aware, in other words. He says, Jesus says in Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, keep your lamp burning. And in those days, the lamp had oil, and oil speaks of the Holy Spirit. Keep in the presence God, don't neglect that of the Holy Spirit. It, it, look, Jesus says in Matthew 26, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. And then in Mark 13, he says, I say to all of you, watch. These are all Jesus' words when he was actually here on earth and were recorded by these guys. Jesus says to the church in Sardis, you have a reputation for being alive, but you know what? You're dead. The church of the living dead. And you know, um, do you know what Jesus is saying? You look good on the outside, but I know that you're asleep at best on the inside. And the church in Sardis looked good, but it was just a veneer because they had a superficial faith in material things. And we can all look good, can't we? We can all look good. Got a nice shirt on today, got a nice shirt, I got nice shoes. Someone said, Oh, your shoes are nice. Got a nice haircut. You're looking pretty good as well. But you know what the truth is? Jesus, he, there's one who looks beyond the outward appearance and looks into our hearts. He looks into our hearts and he says, You know what? I can see what's going on in there. He says, Wake up. In other words, don't let your faith become lulled into a sense of indifference or apathy. So let me finish today by asking you a question, okay? What keeps us from being part of the church of the living dead? What keeps us from that? Here's number one. Care more about who, uh, sorry, care more about how you are than how you appear. Okay, care more about how you are than how you appear. Because Jesus says, you know what, you church of Sardis, you have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Your reputation, you look good on the outside. That's what he's saying. You're more concerned about how you appear before people than be concerned about how you appear before God. You're more concerned about what people think than what God thinks of you. And I'm thinking, far out. That's a challenge, isn't it? Do, do you know there's a story in the Old Testament, Old Testament 
Bible's passage about a king called Saul. Do you know King, when he was chosen to be king of Israel, it says literally, it gives us a description of him. It says head and shoulder above other people. He was tall. It literally says he was handsome. He probably would have been muscular to go along with that. And so we have this King Saul. He's got all the amazing, and he was humble, and he was chosen as the king of Israel. Everybody embraced him. Everybody sang his praises. But as time went on, there was another young man kind of stepped up. His name was David. He was just a, a young fellow in his teens. And, and Saul got incredibly insecure. Insecure. And not only that, he then made some wrong decisions. He cut some corners, made some compromise. He kind of stepped away from God, I suppose. And he just started to th- rethink things, how he could do it himself. In, in actual fact, he, he lost touch with reality and started to do some stupid things. And, and he engaged in demonic practices like seeking seances and trying to work out what maybe someone else wanted to say instead of seeking God. And so all these things happen. Samuel comes along, the prophet, and he taps Saul on the shoulder and he says, Saul, it's time, mate. Your time's done. It's not that God doesn't, wouldn't love him. It's not that God doesn't care for him. He just said, Saul, come on. What you're doing is wrong. You've got to come back. But more than that, we've got, you know, step aside. And you know what Saul's response he said, I have sinned. And we may say, oh, well, that's good. He's acknowledging that. He's repenting. I have sinned. But then it's very, uh, very revealing what he says next. But Samuel, would you please honor me in front of the elders and the people of Israel? And then he says, and please come back with me so I can worship the Lord your God. Two things. Notice whose God it was. It wasn't his God anymore. It was the Lord your God, your God, Samuel. I don't know this. He was confessing to the reality. He didn't really know who God was. And yet in his early days as king, he was, in, he was so fervent and passionate about God and his ways. And yet now he'd lost that apathetic, apathetic complacency had settled in. And the second thing about Saul, he says there, notice what Saul says. He says, would you honor me in front of the elders and the people of Israel? Would you honor me more concerned about how he appeared before people than how he appeared before God? And I think that's a dangerous way to live life. And if we look at David, think of the difference between Saul and the next king, David. David also blew it. I mean, he, David blew it big time. Murder and adultery, when David went wrong, he went wrong. But let me tell you, David didn't say to Samuel, I want to look good in front of the people, even though I've blown it. No, no, no. What did David do? Psalm 51, it says, wash me from my sin. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew within me a right spirit. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Completely different attitude. Would you agree? It wasn't Oh, Saul, Samuel, make me look good in front of the people. No, it was God within me do something. Notice the language, within me, create in me, restore in me, cleanse me, wash me. I've blown it. Different, different attitude. Notice what David was saying. David was not concerned about how people saw him. He was concerned about how God saw him. So, so if we're more concerned about what people think of you than what God thinks of you, then it's a sign that just be careful. Are we drifting? Are we drifting into some kind of complacency? Secondly, when you don't, what can keep us from being part of the church of the living dead? When you don't neglect the Holy Spirit. Where's that in this passage that Jesus says? Well, verse 3, 
Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard and hold it fast. The word receive is a direct reference. It's a reference to the word that was also talked about in Scripture in the New Testament when you would receive what? Receive the Holy Spirit. And we see in John 20, um, Jesus literally says, receive to the disciples, receive the Holy Spirit. We see in, in that on the day of Pentecost, Peter said, repent and baptize and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we see in, in Acts chapter 19, did you, uh, not Paul said, did you not receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Did you not receive? See, the word is connected. The very word that's used in Revelation 3 is, is the very word used in all those passages, receive. The Holy Spirit needs to be received. In other words, you can block him out. You can say, no, I'm right. But when you become a Christian, it says that we receive the Holy Spirit into our lives as a seal, as a work that by faith that we are God's kids when we commit our life to Jesus. But that's not the end of the story because later on, there's a receiving of the Holy Spirit through what's called in Scripture, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And so there's a wonderful opportunity to receive more of the life-giving presence of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And that's a whole another sermon. But reality is, is that we need to be, we don't, you know, without the Holy Spirit, we're just a shell of religion. But with the Holy Spirit, we can become vibrant and, uh, and bold and, uh, you know, just living a Christian life out in, in such a way that even reflects Christ to others. Because we see Paul once said to his young friend Timothy, he says, Timothy, I just want you to take note of something. You can have a form of godliness, Timothy, but you can deny the power. What was he talking about? He's talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. He's talking about that power that enables us to be witnesses. He's talking about that power that enables us to live a vibrant Christian life, to face the struggles we face, to face the issues that we face, to live strong and healthy and whole as a Christian, to live fervent and passionate all the time, to be the body of Christ, not just in here on a Sunday and get all excited, but out there as well, and to be Jesus in our communities. I think that's a good idea, huh? So it's the Holy Spirit, because if there's one thing the Holy Spirit does, is He provides a boldness for us and a strength. And the believers in Sardis had received so much, and it seemed like they had let go of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because they'd received money, they'd received luxury, they'd received a great lifestyle, so many things. And there's nothing wrong with all of that. Okay, we need that to live. But the truth is, when that is more important than the Holy Spirit, our, our passionate um, or our relationship with Jesus and we've got to be careful that we, we're not drifting away in complacency. Because everything that sparkles is not gold, folks. Mm, okay. Not lose sight of the presence. What can keep us from being a part of the, don't want to be a part of the living church of the living dead? Thirdly, it's just when you become complacent. Jesus says to them, I'm going to come like a thief and you're not even going to know it if you don't turn. If you don't stop what you're doing, if you don't turn around, hold back, hold those things what you first received at first time. Hold fast to those. Come back. Come on. He said, come on. Wake up. Wake up. You've fallen asleep. That's what he's saying. And Jesus says, you've become so complacent, so undiscerning that you wouldn't even be aware the hour that I come. Talking about, I think, the return of Jesus Christ, which I think is imminent. Whether it's in our generation or the next, I don't think that's too far away. I don't know. We won't know the day or the hour, but we will know the season, it says. And the world is certainly in an interesting season. Speaking of Jesus' second return, hey? Amen? Mm-hmm. Mm. 
Uh, Winston Churchill, the wartime Prime Minister of Great Britain during the World War II, he says, I must drop one word of caution. He was talking to the nation of Britain, but talking really to all the allies as well, all the, the rest of the world. He says, for next to cowardness and treachery, you can just imagine this old, he was a grumpy old person, but you know, um, not, not all old people are grumpy, by the way. Next to cowardness and treachery, overconfidence, le- listen to this, overconfidence leading to neglect and slothfulness is the worst of wartime crimes. Overconfidence leading to neglect and slothfulness is the worst of all. So what he was saying, be alert. Our enemy's going to come. Be alert. Be awake. Come on, let's just not drift into complacency. We'll be right. We'll be okay. It's true, isn't it? There was a uh, gentleman in the Old Testament called Samson. Remember Samson? He, had a, he was strong and, and God had given him an incredible gift of st- supernatural strength. And he was, he was appointed by God to help the children of Israel fend off the Philistines and to come out of that um, tyranny of the Philistine um, people. But you know what? He was doing a good job and then he met a girl. Yeah, not all girls are like this, praise God. But Delilah was a little bit devious. And she had a plot that she worked for the Philistines and she wanted to find out the strength of Samuel. What was his secret of his strength? And over a series of times, um, she eventually got the information out of Samuel that it was his long hair that kept him strong. And uh, so one day she brought him in. She fed him up on food. She, his head was laying in her lap. He's fallen literally asleep. She gets someone, they cut his hair off. And then she says, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And before, Samson had just, you know, you know, um, got rid of them all. His strength overcome them. Uh, but now his strength has left him. And here's the sad thing. And they overtake him. They capture him. And the story goes on. The sad thing about this is probably one of the saddest verses in, in the Bible. He wakes up and he says, I'll defeat them as before. And the Bible says he did not know that the Lord's power had left him. In other words, his complacency and his apathy, he literally drifted into sleep and just accepting whatever Delilah said. And before long, he'd lost what God had given him. I don't want that to happen. I'm sure you don't want that to happen either. But it's a challenge, isn't it? So here's the Sardis. Samson's the Sardis of the Old Testament. So distracted, so complacent to the presence of God. His strength and authority had been stolen and he didn't even know it. He didn't even know it. And so the Sardis church and Samson have been lulled into a spiritual uh, sleepiness. And Jesus comes along and he says, Wake up! Wake up! Maybe today you possibly identify maybe with some of these points. I want to say that you're in good company because I love the fact that Jesus actually um, comes along and he says, he actually is speaking to the church. If he didn't care, he wouldn't bother. He's saying, come on, wake up, um, you know, uh, take a hold, receive those things that you used to have. Receive them again. Think about it. Come back. Repent. Turn away and come forward and, and live verb, in, in vervent relationship with me again. I love the reality of that. He wants us. And Jesus is, is, is saying very clearly, come on. 
it's evident that his grace and mercy was available for them. It wasn't like he was cutting himself off. He wasn't just telling them and leaving them on their own. He was offering them grace and mercy and saying, come on, guys, strengthen that which remains. There's, a, there's an ember of, 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 uh, of, you know, of, of fire there, a little ember. Come on, start to fan that flame in your life again. Start to get it going into a raging, you know, nice big campfire again. It just, it's gone out nearly, but not completely. There's something that remains. And, you know, Paul says uh, to the Roman church, he says, and this do, understanding the present time, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. So Paul was declaring something very clearly to the Christians at Rome. He was saying, come and wake up. You're in a slumber, but we can. We can retake that land that we've lost. Come on, fan to flame, that little ember that's there. And I want to tell you, we invest in a lot of things in our lives. We invest in shares. We invest in a house. We invest in our education. So we should. Nothing wrong with that. But, you know, how much time do we give to invest in our Christian spirituality, in our Christian disciplines, in our Christian faith? Because you'll never regret that. I, I, you know, I loved what... Um, I loved what uh, uh, there was a guy called Rick Warren. He was uh, he wrote that book. Um, uh, he wrote a book. I've forgotten it. Forty. Yeah, yeah, that one. Okay, great book. Anyway, he said this. I like what he says. He says, "You know what? The more you pray, the less you panic. The more you worship, the less you worry, and you'll feel more patient and less pressured." Pre- pressured. Very practical statement, but so true because out of that relationship with Christ, everything else flows. And you know, when we start to neglect or get just to cut corners or get a little compromising in our relationship with Christ or, or just or just allow it to die down, it's amazing how then things just start to unfold that aren't healthy, aren't good, aren't right. Because we've got a God-shaped vacuum in here or, or space that we've got to fill it with something, but it was only ever meant for, for God, and yet we fill it with other stuff. And so we see uh, that, you know, that we need to invest in our spiritual. And you know what? You can say, well, you know, how can I get back to where I was in my spiritual vitality? And we could say, well, you know, I'm going to watch 100, 100 um, YouTube clips of Jimmy Swaggart. Or I'm going to watch Steve Furtick. On, I'll watch all his messages and, man, I'll get spiritual again. Well, go for it if that's what you want to do. But I want to tell you, it doesn't necessarily keep you there where you want to be. There's good things as the team comes up, by the way. Can we have them? You know, as, as, you know, you might say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find out where the latest revivals are in the world and I'm going to go there and I'm going to be a part of it. Well, go for gold, go for it. But in the end, there's something else that's going to keep you and keep you strong that I'm going to encourage you in a moment to do. You may say, well, I'm going to get a good book on how to be spiritual. Well, go for it, read it, read as many as you can. But in the end, you've got to do something that is just really um, foundational to your Christian life. I'm going to give you what I think is the formula, four things of formula of Christian passion. And I hesitate to say formula because you never really can put a formula on it. But it's this, you know, number one, read God's Word. Just got to read God's Word. You just got to open it. Has God's Word become a hit and miss thing? Sometimes, yeah, maybe. Oh, look, I'm a bit busy. Just get it out again. You say, you don't, you don't know how busy I am. Well, if you've got no time to read God's Word, I'd say you really do need to read God's Word <laughs> if you're busy. You know, here's, because it's amazing what God can speak to you. When was the last time as you just read God's Word that just God just jumped something, just spoke to your heart? Why couldn't it be today? Here's the second thing. 
pray. Talk to God. Once again, you could say, you don't know my schedule. You're right. I don't know your schedule. I am too busy to pray. If, if you're too busy to pray, you're too busy not to pray. You've got to pray. But you don't understand I'm facing this struggle and this issue and this. Well, why don't you come and bring it to God? But I'm not just saying just once, but why not every day just present it to Him? It says pr- present your request to Him. And, and doesn't it say the God of peace will guard your heart? Here's the third thing. Just worship Him. I don't know how you might do that. It doesn't even have to be songs. It could just be, sometimes I just sit there and I just give Him thanks. It's amazing. I, just, I, I sometimes catch myself getting really a little bit upset or down about things. And I just sense this, just give me thanks. So I start to give Him thanks. I start to just give Him a little bit of praise. And it doesn't sound sweet or good or what, but I tell you what, it's from my heart. That's the best praise. And it's amazing how it just changes how the, the atmosphere in your mind and heart. And it just, it fans that flame of that little ember. Oh, I'm getting excited about Jesus. So there's just, it's just His Word. It's just talking to me. It's just worship. Here's the other one. Just be in a place of like-minded people once in a while. Connection. I think, I think they call it Church. Because Jesus was speaking to the church. He wanted everybody to hear the same message. I pray that Jesus will speak to your heart today because he, he loves you. And he wouldn't have bothered with the church of Sardis. And he wouldn't have told them all this stuff if he didn't love them and care for them. He wouldn't bother with us if he didn't care for us. He does bother for us. And he just says, come on. Don't forget. Don't forget my personal revival formula. That's mine. You get your own. Just put those four elements in it. But get your own. I want to tell you, that's what puts wood on your fire. Now, all the other stuff, oh, I love some. There's some great YouTube clips and some great preachers. And, and to be honest, every now and then I just sneak a preak of Jimmy Swaggart on telly because when I was 17, we used to go every Sunday afternoon after church and watch him on television. And, you know, I know he's old, and, but, you know, he still loves Jesus. I'm not suggesting you have to watch Jimmy Swaggart. <laughs> but I'm just saying that all that's, that's all the cream. I just want the cake. And my cake comes every day when I just, I just watch and pray and worship. And just read. And just fan the flame. And that's what Jesus says to us today. Because you know what? You know, your life, you, you want it to be exciting all the time. Well, it just needs to be excited in Him every day. Just every day, just about Him. I sometimes catch myself saying, oh, I'm excited about, oh, I'm going to have a couple of days off. I'm excited about what Michelle's making in the dinner. Oh, I'm excited about that. I'm excited about, oh, I'm going to go for a run this afternoon. Or I'm excited about watching a bit of sport. And I think, just hang on a second. Am I that excited about Jesus? Oh, I need to be, I think. And, I, and I've got to bring it back to, to center and just say, Jesus, just you first. And everything else flows out of that. Everything else flows out of that. Amen. Happy Miss 10. Can I just pray this morning for you? Heavenly Father, I just thank you for every single person today. 
But Father, I don't want to be complacent because I really don't want to miss what you're doing, not just in my life, but also the world. Because <laughs> there's things happening. And you're returning one day, and I don't want to miss that, that's for sure. But more than anything, I just want to live every day. Help us, each of us, Father, to see that it just takes up, takes us getting up and doing some what would think is just the simple little things, but doing them every day, just keeping in relationship with you, that fans that flame in our hearts so that we don't become familiar, don't become uh, just complacent and apathetic, but Lord, that we'll be, remain um, vibrant with our faith with you. Help us to be vibrant with it. Help us not to be, help not the world to gloss over. Help us, you know, the things that are shiny and, and the things that want to take our attention. Help us to keep that in the right context. Because ultimately, when I get to the end of my days, Lord, you know that that's all we'll have is you. And if I haven't got you, I really don't have anything. So Father, we commit your people, I commit them to you today. Strengthen us, them I ask, in Jesus' name. And everyone agrees, said? Amen. Come on.